the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm taking a few days off, taking a break. We're rerunning some programs that we feel you'll enjoy. I'll be back live next Monday, January the 4th. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm honored that you would take a moment to spend with us. Today is Thursday, December the 17th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today, on December 17, 1903, Wilbur and Orville Wright of Dayton, Ohio, conducted the first successful manned-powered airplane flights near Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They used their experimental craft. You've probably seen pictures of that. It looks more like a kite than an airplane, but nonetheless, it worked. They called it the Wright Flyer, W-R-I-G-H-T, the Wright Flyer. Lifted off the ground for a few seconds today and... Air travel was born today, December 17, 1903. Today in 1777, France recognized American independence. Today in 1933, the inaugural NFL championship football game, the Chicago Bears defeated the New York Giants 23-21 at Wrigley Field, at a baseball field, on the baseball diamond. They played football. Very first one, that evolved into the Super Bowl. Today in 1938, German chemists Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann, they discovered nuclear fusion by splitting the nuclei of uranium into lighter elements. The nuclear age was born. Today, 1938. Today in 1944, the U.S. War Department announced it was ending its policy of excluding people of Japanese ancestry from the West Coast. Today in 1975, Lynette Squeaky Fromm, she was sentenced in Sacramento, California to life in prison for her attempt on the life of President Gerald Ford. She was paroled later on in 2009. Wasn't she involved with the Manson group somehow? I, I think there's a connection there. I'm not sure, but it seems like I remember there, she was connected somehow to that Manson cult. One year ago today, This is very important. One year ago today, Joe Biden released a doctor's report saying that the 77-year-old, he's now 78, the 77-year-old former vice president was healthy, vigorous, and fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see if he actually becomes president. Going to be talking a little bit more about that tomorrow on this program. Um, there are there are still some avenues that could change everything. Um, I won't get into that today, but I do want to talk a little bit about that tomorrow. I think you'll find it very interesting. But we'll see what happens. But as far as the fitness of Joe, I I would question that. I mean, maybe he's all of his you know obvious cognitive and and physical really when you see him walk. Maybe that all that failure has just happened in the last 12 months. I don't know, but 
man, uh, I don't think anyone believes that he's fit and vigorous and healthy. He doesn't appear to be. He seems to be failing miserably. And I don't say that in a, any malicious way. It's just, I mean, America's the most powerful country in the world. And the office of the presidency is the most powerful office in the world, humanly speaking. And, um, boy, I don't know about his fitness. I don't think Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Ocasio-Cortez and that whole bunch, I don't think they're counting on him. If they can get him into the Oval Office installed, they're uh, Kamala Harris, all these people, they're just going to run with their far, far left, Bernie Sanders and all of them. They're just going to run with their very, very far left agenda. I think most of us know that, and that's what's so troubling about this. I think the concern that many conservatives and Christians hold is not just a political bias. The press, can they can't bring themselves to talk about this in real terms because perhaps they don't really understand where we're coming from. But our concern, I think, at least my concern, transcends any political uh, affiliations that I might have. I've often said I'm a Republican because the Republican Party platform agrees with what I believe the Bible teaches and what I personally believe. So it's an easy one for me. The day the Republican Party takes a left turn and goes somewhere else, I'm out. I'm not like committed to the Republican Party. And I, I think most of you who are listening, most of us in the conservative Christian community feel that way. And yeah, we're absolutely, we're Republicans. But the day that they come up and say, well, we need to broaden our tent and we need to start, you know, advocating for, you know, the list, then, you know, I, I'm not going to go along with that. I don't think many of you, I know those of you who support us, this ministry, wouldn't go along with that. And thank you, by the way, for your support. It is so deeply appreciated. I can't express, not only by me, but the people that work with me, we appreciate it so much because there's a profound sense in my heart and those who work with us closely, and we don't have a big staff, believe me. We're, boy, we're, we're modest and we're streamlined. We get a lot done with a few hands. But um, we all feel very strongly about what we're doing and feel that the Lord has led us to do this at this time. So I speak not only for myself, but others as well. Thank you so much. I get your notes. I read them. I'm not encouraging you to write notes. If you don't want to write a note, don't. I mean, no problem. But I look at them. I noticed this today. couldn't help but notice it from a couple who support us every month strongly. The Lord is on Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Well, there's obviously a growing resistance to the message, our message, anyone who has a message that gets to the heart of the matter, biblically and culturally, there is resistance. But thank you so much for your support. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I don't know if you've seen the article or not. You probably haven't. It's easy to overlook, but it's important that I mention it. 
And I want to just mention it today because it brings up a much a much greater issue. United Methodist Church in general is split. They were planning to meet this um, this year. I think it was this summer. Yeah, it was this summer. And they were going to formally split the church. There are those who are wanting to adhere to biblical teaching, much like John Wesley did, the founder of Methodism. But there are those who want to go a very different direction. But because of the coronavirus, they were unable to get together this year, so they had to put off their tearing in two of the Methodist Church. Now, I'm not a Methodist, but I've had family members in Methodism. My wife's family back in the, in the, in the day were, were um, quite a few of them were Methodists. And they believed the message of biblical message of John Wesley, and they believed in reaching the world with the love of Jesus Christ. But the church has taken taken a very different turn, half of it, about half of it. So the Los Angeles Times is reporting that according to the Bible, these are their words, their article starts with this. According to the Bible, Jesus' birth was a crowded affair. Mary and Joseph, a menagerie of animals and some shepherd visitors. Then the LA Times writes on one line, but protesters with a question mark. It's written in Proverbs that where there is no vision, the people perish. And we are watching not only the Methodist Church, but others perish because they've lost their vision. Perhaps they have a vision, but it's a wrong vision. It's not a biblical vision. Claremont United Methodist Church is a big church. I've seen the church, actually. We were associated with a, a church. We had some some things that we did together uh, when we were in the church in North Hollywood with a church in that area, not this church. But Claremont United Methodist Church has had an impact in the past for Jesus Christ, but now they're raising eyebrows, including that of the Los Angeles Times, not by saving souls, but by taking a stand for what they call social justice. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, often said, and I'm quoting him, quote, You have one business on earth, to save souls. That was the vision upon which the Methodist Church was born. The Claremont, Claremont Church's Christ, uh, Christmas outreach this year is a nativity scene that includes the Holy Family, in front of a painting of masked people holding signs reading, Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe. But it gets worse. While Joseph tends to the child in the manger, Mary is joining the protesters. The Los Angeles Times says, against the mural backdrop, I'm quoting them, a statue of Joseph kneels beside the babe in the manger. Mary stands, her arms lifted, with the protesters in the painting. I could almost read between the words that even L.A. Times is shocked a little bit by this so-called version of Christmas. The scene includes a number of Bible verses, other quotes. The church has also put out a theological statement. Part of it says, I won't put you through all of it, it's, it's just it's agony if you're a biblical Christian. But the church says, quote, we affirm and join the call for justice and equity by the Black Lives Matter movement to ensure that Black Lives Matter as much as any other life, 
That's what Christmas is all about. (laughs) Their theological statement also reads, and I'm quoting from it, Our faith in Christ challenges us to stand with Mary in her call for justice for the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. That bothers me a little bit because they're suggesting that Mary is standing for justice, their kind of justice, and they're joining her. In fact, they are perverting the Mary, the mother of Christ, as she's presented in the Bible, and making her to stand with them, not the other way around. Back in 2014, the same church erected a nativity showing Mary huddled in a sleeping bag, sitting at a bus stop holding a little baby that was clearly intended to be a a depiction of Jesus. She was sitting at this bus shop with her shopping cart beside her and several personal items in it, holding this baby that was supposed to be Jesus. And they said this is a modern depiction of Jesus' family as homeless. There was no room in the inn. This church has been at this for a long time because they're a failing church. Another year, they had a hooded and bloody recreation of Trayvon Martin, the 17-year-old that was shot by George Zimmerman in 2012. They had him kneeling beside a silhouette of the Virgin Mary. Last year, this same church placed each member of the Holy Family in cages to represent families detained at the border. They said, these are the cages that Trump built. But Trump didn't build them, as we have learned. Barack Obama administration actually built the cages. But it doesn't matter. The point is that these people are perverting the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ on on the day and on the time that we celebrate his birth. I don't know what's the matter with them. They've lost their way and how they can become so blind when they had such godly, biblical founding. I don't know. But the Reverend Karen Clark Ristine, she's the church's senior pastor. She says, quote, We couldn't think of any other issue that we wanted to keep under the light of the Bethlehem star that more needs to be addressed than racism. The pastor said, we don't want the need for continuing conversation of racism and white supremacy to get lost in the news cycle. While the true meaning of Christmas has been lost to these leaders or simply ignored. I don't know if this touches you, but it does me. Maybe it's the fact that I've spent my life in ministry as an ordained minister, a pastor, a missionary for a period of time in our life. But it's stunning that a church founded by John Wesley can't think of anything more important to shine the light of Christmas on than the issue of racism and white supremacy. Wesley said the Bible knows nothing of solidarity religion. He spoke to this issue long before they came up with it. Let me talk to you just for a moment today about a clear and a guided vision in our screwed up world. Yes, including the Christian community. Wesley said, I have about 13 books and volumes of his sermons and of a whole lot of other people, not just his. I have a big library. My wife can tell you how big it is. It's too big. Almost. But Wesley said, give me 100 preachers 
who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell. Well, the gates of hell are not shaking. When the gates of hell observe, as we do, churches out doing these kinds of things in the name of Christ, particularly during the Christmas season. They're wasting an opportunity to share the true biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. Wesley also said, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. These people aren't worn out because they don't have any opposition, particularly from devils. Perhaps some, but not all. But some of the United Methodists, they've lost the fire of the Spirit that gave Wesley his vision. I've read about it. I've read about his conversion. He was in the ministry when he was converted to Jesus Christ. He tells about how he went to a prayer meeting. I mean, it's it's quite lengthy. He tells his story. He said he was in the ministry, and he said, I became completely exhausted because he said, I, w- I was trying to preach the truth and get people to accept the truth of the Bible, and I had not yet met the truth personally. In other words, I had not been born again. I had not accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He tells the story about how some people he met on a boat, an ethnic group, led him to a prayer meeting once they were on land, and they invited him to a prayer meeting. He went, and in that prayer meeting, he realized that he had, as a preacher, had never accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he was profoundly, and he tells his story, profoundly transformed by the power of God. And that's what birthed that particular denomination of churches. Others, churches and church groups and so on, whatever they may be, if they're biblical, they have similar stories to tell. But that's why he said, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will become worn out by the opposition of men and devils. The Methodist Church has lost their vision. Clearly, Christians are taught in Scripture to help the poor, seek justice, be charitable. No question about it, but that isn't what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the kingdom of God that is forever and ever. Christianity is about Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who came to earth and was born to a Virgin Mary in a manger so that you could be saved from eternity and so that Gary Randall could have his sins forgiven. That's the message of Christmas. What's the matter with these people? I don't know. Scripture is so clear on helping the poor, I'm not for one moment suggesting it shouldn't happen. And I will tell you this on a personal note. In our personal giving, my wife and I give generously and and significantly as in relation to what we have to the missions who help the poor and the downtrodden. We do. But that isn't the message of Christmas. Scripture says when you help the poor, you're lending to God, and he pays wonderful dividends. But the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas, is not primarily about bringing reforms to our country's legal and welfare programs. John 16.8 defines the vision as convicting the world of sin. Not to make them feel bad, but to show that there is a better way. The more we define the darkness of sin, according to biblical teaching, the brighter the light of truth shines in the life of people. It is said that 
When Jesus was born and when Jesus was birthed into this world, God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's written that the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. They didn't understand. But now we live in a day when the church doesn't understand. Salvation is not founded in social justice. Jesus was born in a manger, died on a cross, rose from the dead. Wesley preached that message. So did Peter and John and the other disciples and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards and Spurgeon and Finney and Billy Graham and Franklin Graham and all the rest of them, millions of preachers. And even guys like me. We spent our life preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the only message. <sighs> Excuse me. Sorry, it's the only message that will change your life. All the other stuff maybe have levels of importance and does, certainly helping the poor does, justice for sure. But good grief, that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about, about forgiveness of sin, eternal life through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. We don't preach about sin to create a punishment environment, but to put it in a clear and understood path to personal relationship with Jesus Christ, like Wesley himself discovered, and billions of others have experienced. That's the message of Christmas. True equality is not found in props that lead to conversation, as this church is saying. It's found at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. To quote Wesley one more time, a message to the church in Claremont, California, and everywhere else, especially the church leadership. Wesley said this. He said, it's no marvel that the devil does not love field preaching. He was talking about evangelism. He didn't like to be an evangelist. I mean, he didn't like the hard work of being an evangelist, and he says so here. But he says so in other places. But he did it all the time. But he said this, and I'll, I'll quote. It is no marvel that the devil does not love field preaching or evangelism. Neither do I. I love a commodious room, a soft cushion, a handsome pulpit. But where is my zeal if I do not trample all these things underfoot in order to save one more soul? Even I can understand that. That's the vision. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why Christmas is special. Christmas is not about putting Mary with her hands raised, joining Black Lives Matter or whatever, Black Lives Matter as an organization is Marxist anyway. And Jesus was anything but Marxist or socialist. But that's what we find going on in our world today. Could I go back to yesterday just for a moment? I was talking about Beth Moore. I ran out of time. That often happens on this program, as you know. This program originates live. It's not pre-recorded and, and produced I would be better at this if I were produced, if I had a good producer. But it originates live. So when I make a mistake or when I run out of time, uh, I just run out of time right in front of everybody. And we get some criticism for that as well, but it's okay. I, I don't mind that. But anyway, I was talking about Beth Moore. She's a pretty well-known uh, author and, and speaker, and I don't know her. I've met her. I think I've, I'm pretty sure I interviewed her on our television program. I think we interviewed every every author that existed back in those days. 
uh, for 12 years daily on our television program because we were on network stations and all of the publishers would pay to fly their authors in. And that's how we had Dobson and Swindoll and all of these guys on our program uh, a lot and other people that were making news. So I, I think in that context, I probably admit her, but I don't know her. But she tweeted, and I, I was talking about this yesterday when we ran out of time, but she tweeted, I do not believe these days are for mincing words. She said, I'm 63 and a half years old, and I've never seen anything in these United States that I found more astonishingly seductive and dangerous to the saints of God than Trumpism. This Christian nationalism is not of God. Move back from it. She said, I do not believe these days... Um, or she said, uh, follow fellow leaders, two fellow leaders. She said, we will be held responsible for remaining passive in this day of seduction to save our own skin while the saints we've been entrusted to serve are being seduced, manipulated, used, stirred up in a lather of zeal, devoid of the Holy Spirit for political gain. And I just wanted to tell you that I profoundly disagree with where I think she's coming from and I found the thing that struck me, and I wanted to leave this with you today before we move on, because I think I don't know what she means by nationalism, Christian nationalism. But if she's talking about where the country becomes the religion, I mean, if she's confused, and she may be, and I would say this if she were in the room, and she may be about what this is really about then I can understand her concern. I don't think she's that confused, and I don't think the religious left is that confused. I think they just don't like Trump, and so they want to go after the people who might have voted for him or whatever. I don't know that, though. I I, I don't know. I don't know what's in her heart. But I will tell you that a Christian nationalist is not what people are that are, are standing for values in America. You've got to ask yourself some questions. Are you a Christian nationalist simply because you love and appreciate America? No. Are you a Christian nationalist simply because you are patriotic and serve in the military? Of course not. Are you a Christian nationalist simply because you believe Trump was a better choice than Biden? <laughs> no. Are you a Christian nationalist simply because you believe there was an electoral fraud and you're doing your best to fight for a free and a fair election? No. Are you Christian, a Christian nationalist because, some, because you believe that America must protect our religious liberties? Not at all. Are you a Christian nationalist simply because you believe that God raised up America for special purposes in order to bless and help the world? No. But you are a Christian nationalist if you believe that somehow the kingdom of God and the, and the country of America are one and the same. And to those people, yeah, I would agree. That isn't of God. That's not biblical. But I don't think we're talking about that. The people I know aren't coming from that. I mean, there's a there's a group of anything you want to define out there somewhere in America. Freedom is a wonderful thing. But that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about wanting America and our liberties to continue for our children and our grandchildren should the Lord tarry. That's what we're talking about, and I think we need to take a hard look at what we mean when we say these things. Again, I don't know what's in her heart, but I will tell you that if we are intertwining the kingdom of God 
and the kingdoms of this world that, of course, were not biblical. Otherwise, she needs to take a closer look. I'll see you right here tomorrow.